Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Original seceders from Mohammed. And they have brought their relics safely through all their wanderings until they settled in this strange place, where the desert protects them from their enemies. And the ear, I asked, almost involuntarily. Oh, that was the same story over again. Some of the tribe wandered away to the south a few hundred years ago, and one of them, wishing to have good luck for the enterprise, got into the temple at night and carried off one of the ears. There has been a tradition among the Negroes ever since that the ear would come back some day. The fellow who carried it was caught by some slaver, no doubt, and that was how it got into America, and so into your hands, and you have had the honor of fulfilling the prophecy. He paused for a few minutes, resting his head upon his hands, waiting apparently for me to speak. When he looked up again, the whole expression of his face had changed. His features were firm and set, and he changed the air of half-levity with which he had spoken before for one of sternness and almost ferocity. "'I wish you to carry a message back,' he said, "'to the white race, to the great dominating race, who I hate and defy. Tell them that I have battened on their blood for twenty years, that I have slain them until even I became tired of what had once been a joy, that I did this unnoticed and unsuspected in the face of every precaution which their civilization could suggest. There's no satisfaction in revenge when your enemy does not know who has struck him. I'm not sorry, therefore, to have you as a messenger. There's no need why I should tell you how this great hate became born in me. See this? And he held up his mutilated hand. This was done by a white man's knife. My father was white, my mother was a slave. When he died, she was sold again, and I, a child then, saw her lashed to death to break her of some of the little airs and graces which her late master had encouraged in her. My young wife, too. Oh, my young wife. A shudder ran through his whole frame. No matter. I swore my oath and kept it. From Maine to Florida, and from Boston to San Francisco, you could track my steps by sudden deaths, which baffled the police. I warred against the whole white race, as they for centuries had warred against the black one. At last, as I tell you, I sickened of blood. Still, the sight of a white face was abhorrent to me, and I determined to find some bold, free black people and throw in my lot with them. 
to cultivate their latent power and to form a nucleus for a great colored nation. This idea possessed me, and I traveled all over the world for two years, seeking for what I desired. At last, I almost despaired of finding it. There was no hope of regeneration in the slave-dealing Sudanese, the debased Fante, or the Americanized Negroes of Liberia. I was returning from my quest when chance brought me in contact with this magnificent tribe of dwellers in the desert, and I threw in my lot with them. Before doing so, however, my old instinct of revenge prompted me to make one last visit to the United States, and I returned from it in the Marie Celeste. As to the voyage itself, your intelligence would have told you by this time that, thanks to my manipulation, both compasses and chronometers were entirely untrustworthy. I alone worked out the course with correct instruments of my own, while the steering was done by my black friends under my guidance. I pushed Tibbs' wife overboard. What? You look surprised and shrink away. Surely you had guessed by this time. I would have shot you that day through the partition, but unfortunately you were not there. I tried again afterwards, but you were awake. I shot Tibbs. I think the idea of suicide was carried out rather neatly. Of course, when once we got on the coast, the rest was simple. I had bargained that all on board should die, but that stone of yours upset my plans. I also bargained that there should be no plunder. No one can say we are pirates. We have acted from principle, not from any sordid motive. I listened in amazement to the summary of his crimes, which this strange man gave me, all in the quietest and most composed of voices, as though detailing incidents of everyday occurrence. I still seem to see him sitting like a hideous nightmare at the end of my couch, with a single rude lamp flickering over his cadaverous features. And now, he continued, there is no difficulty about your escape. These stupid adopted children of mine will say that you have gone back to heaven from whence you came. The wind blows off the land. I have a boat all ready for you, well stored with provisions and water. I am anxious to be rid of you, so you may rely that nothing is neglected. Rise up and follow me. I did what he commanded, and he led me through the door of the hut. The guards had either been withdrawn, or Goring had arranged matters with them. We passed unchallenged through the town and across the sandy plain. Once more I heard the roar of the sea and saw the long white line of the surge. Two figures were standing upon the shore, arranging the gear of a small boat. They were the two sailors who had been with us on the voyage. "'See him safely through the surf,' said Goring. The two men sprang in and pushed off, pulling me in after them. With mainsail and jib, we ran out from the land and passed safely over the bar. Then my two companions, without a word of farewell, sprang overboard, and I saw their heads like black dots on the white foam as they made their way back to the shore, while I scudded away into the blackness of the night. Looking back, I caught my last glimpse of Goring. He was standing upon the summit of a sand hill, and the rising moon behind him threw his gaunt, angular figure into hard relief. 
He was waving his arms frantically to and fro. It may have been to encourage me on my way, but the gesture seemed to me at the time to be threatening ones, and I have often thought that it was more likely that his old savage instinct had returned when he realized that I was out of his power. Be that as it may, it was the last I ever saw, or ever shall see, of Septimimus Goring. There is no need for me to dwell upon my solitary voyage. I steered as well as I could for the Canaries, but was picked up upon the fifth day by the British and African Steam Navigation Company's boat Monrovia. Let me take this opportunity of tendering my sincerest thanks to Captain Stornaway and his officers for the great kindness which, which they showed me, from that time till they landed me in Liverpool, where I was enabled to take one of the Guion boats to New York. From the day on which I found myself once more in the bosom of my family, I have said little of what I have undergone. The subject is still an intensely painful one to me, and the little which I have dropped has been discredited. I now put the facts before the public as they occurred, careless how far they may be believed, and simply writing them down because my lung is growing weaker and I feel the responsibility of holding my peace longer. I make no vague statement. Turn to your map of Africa. There above Cape Blanco, where the land trends away north and south from the westmost point of the continent, there it is that Septimimus Goring still reigns over his dark subjects, unless retribution has overtaken him. And there, where the long green ridges run swiftly in to roar and hiss upon the hot yellow sand, it is there that Harton lies with Hyson and the other poor fellows who were done to death in the Marie Celeste. End of section seven.